You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello, and you are listening to Orange County's longest running business talk show. And yes, I am your host, Rick Franzi. And boy, do we have a great show planned for you today. Why do you ask? Fair question, because Brett Engelander is our guest, and he's the co-founder of Cerno Group. Brett, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. I'm always looking forward to talking to interesting guests, and I think you are one. That's why I was looking forward to having you on the show. So let's get started. Let's go back in time and talk to us about the original motivation that you and the other founder had, or maybe the inspiration to start the Cerno Group. Yeah, I, I think the two are very intertwined. Um, the motivation and inspiration for starting Cerno goes back to when my business partners and I were kids growing up together in Laguna Beach, California. We've been best friends since grade school. Um, and the friendship always revolved around this love for, I think, first and foremost, adventure. Um, and, you know, everything's 2020 in hindsight, but you look back and we really were building a foundation that we would later launch Cerno on. From if we weren't at the beach or playing sports, we were building something. And from those earliest projects, it was really clear that we all gravitated towards very different parts of the process where Daniel, who was um, would later go on to study engineering, he was the realist. Um, his grandfather had very much instilled in him, if there's a will, there's a way. And every project we started, he would figure out how to get it to the finish line. Uh, Nick, who would later go on to study architecture, but and he's a very capable builder and maker like Daniel, but he was more drawn to the design and the artistry side of it. I was then and now the least skilled with tools. Um, it's kind of a running joke. I can make a few things, but everyone's like, whoa, Brett's got a saw, watch out. <laughs> But um, I always had a camera around my neck and I was chronicling all of our adventures from when we were little kids. And I went on studied journalism and then later got into real estate development. But from the beginning, it was clear that we kind of had different skill sets. And when we started Cerno, it worked out really well because there was never a situation where it was too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. It was. I was focused on trying to understand the market. And once we had some finished goods and products to share, getting it out there and drumming up some demand, Daniel could focus very much on business um, operations and engineering, and then kind of building a scalable business. And Nick was very much focused on design. Helps me a lot out with marketing as well and contributes to other areas, but he was primarily focused on creating new, beautiful products. and. One thing, I mean, kind of the motivation or inspiration again, when we were kids and I didn't, I don't think we knew it then. Um, but when we started Serena, we definitely knew it. We were always kind of facing that full body visceral high you get when you dream something up and then go make it happen. Um, and when we started Serena, there were a lot of conversations about that. Why are we doing this? You know, and we love to design and build things. Let's build a company where we get to do what we love. And that was the motivation then. And I think still today, I mean, it's very much part of our culture here, just making sure we're enjoying it, um, but getting that satisfaction of going out, dreaming it up and making it happen. And that's 
really what we do get to do every every day. Is Cerno the first business enterprise as entrepreneurs the three of you have undertaken? Uh, Daniel and Nick actually had a ceramics business together in high school. So <laughs> to answer that question uh, accurately, I have to uh, mention that. But yeah, no, we'd all worked in other industries, but not as entrepreneurs and not together. How exciting. Wow, what a history you have together. That's that's a first here on the Critical Mass Radio Show. And we've done quite a few interviews over the years, but that's a very compelling story. So let's look at Cerno. Um, Talk to me about what the firm is. Uh, what problems are you solving? Who are you helping? How are they? How are you differentiating your brand? At our core, we are a design and manufacturing company that specializes in modern, high-end lighting. So, our we believe that lighting has a pretty incredible impact on any space. I mean, you think about lighting in a more utility environment. Or, I mean, think of an operating room. You need it to be very bright and light um, uh, for a lot of important reasons, making sure that everything goes well. And then you think of a jazz lounge and you have, you know, it's very dim and there's ambient lighting. We design lights for all those environments, not so much operating rooms, but a lot of healthcare settings. Our primary customers are interior designers, architects, lighting designers and end users. So from the beginning in the design world, you hear a lot of talk about form and function, um, almost so much so that it becomes a cliche. But for us, that is really important to us. We want to design beautiful things, but we also want them to function as they're intended to. Um, so we spend a lot of time knowing about lighting performance and optics and how bright it needs to be for different settings and all the different building codes that you have to adhere to. So yeah, we're again, a lighting company, but very much at that intersection of high design, but also high functionality. There's my outside opinion looking in is there's a surprising amount of technology that's available to you as a lighting manufacturer choices and options is, is that accurate? And if so, can you expand on it a little bit? Yeah, we're, we're entering into Daniel's world in the company. So he could probably answer <laughs> this question a lot better than I can. Sure. Daniel Lockholder, he's my business partner who is director of engineering and operations. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think understanding the components that you're working with and what they're best suited for is an extremely important part of what we do. And we have three different lighting lines. We have the Cerno line, which is, I, I don't want to say more ambient, but um, you know, it's less utility than Revolite, which is our high-end art lighting line. And that is very much a utilitarian product. It's meant to illuminate artwork properly and really well. And that's what it does. And then we have our Siemens Salazar line. We had the honor um, of acquiring a really good friends company last year in 2022, Caleb Seaman and Carmen Salazar, they had built up a world-renowned glass blowing studio and were just at a transition in their careers. And this came up and we started talking and we acquired them, but they are even, I would say, higher end than Cerno. Hand, it's all incredibly crafted hand-blown glass. Um, and that's all done here too. So three different brands, I would say similar, um, working with a similar clientele 
but all uniquely their own too. So I know from talking to you previously that your company, Cerno, what has been and is a first mover in LED lighting in the in this space. And so I'm wondering from that move to LED and being early into it, how has that impacted the company overall from a growth perspective? Yeah, I've thought about this before, and I, I, I wish there was a way to run a simulation to where you could see our trajectory and then had we not embrace this new technology and what what would have happened but back in 2009 when we founded Cerno, the lighting industry was being wildly disrupted by leds uh so much so that the first trade show we went to on the component level everything was led but you couldn't find a finished fixture in the building <laughs> this yeah it, it's a crazy crazy well, period where right. we so the you know the door of opportunity was cracked open but we could have easily walked by it and not right. had seen it, but we did. And I mean, I credit that mostly to Daniel, who's a voracious reader of science and tech magazines and just having a real pulse that this change was happening. So when we launched our first line, we really embraced and celebrated the technology and the designs were provocative to ask the question of, how are you doing this or why are you doing this thinner profiles that you couldn't do around a traditional light bulb and having the heat heat sinks be really pronounced in the design so people would ask what's that for and i i i don't i i, I don't know how strategic it was at the moment to do that it was really just us exploring with a new technology but it did create some buzz and it did get us some attention um, so I think being early players worked really well to our benefit. Um, I've, I've told this story in the past, but I think it is a relevant mm -hmm. anecdote to just the sign of the times when it was Daniel, Nick and I, in our tiny industrial space in Laguna Canyon, just the three of us, um, no employees. We barely sold any lights. We get a call from the wall street journal and asking us to be an authority on led lighting design. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it is it's crazy because i don't think today we would ever show up on their radar but back then they just when you typed in you know led light fixtures we often came up um just because there weren't a ton of options back then 2009 2010 2011. obviously that has changed a lot but so yeah i think it's definitely impacted our growth and it's definitely um, gave us, I would say a little bit of a competitive advantage at the beginning that's been, you know, marginalized now just because it's, it's a very competitive saturated market and we have, we have to find new ways to be competitive and novel. So when you got that call from the wall street journal, did you think at first that somebody was pranking you or did yeah, you? I, I, well, I don't know if I thought it was a prank, but, maybe I thought there was like some solicitation built in or it was oh. some like <laughs> pay to play quid pro quo. Right. What's the catch? Right. And, and there was no catch. It was, it was the real deal. And the article went to print and Man. we are credited in it. I know it's funny. Different. I, I just think, uh, think about how many entrepreneurs build a business plan and a marketing plan to get that kind of attention, you know, get that type of recognition and, and, and you, know, you got it because of your first mover capability. Yeah, and we didn't know it at the time, but going to New York City and you know, at that time, that was a terrifying investment for us to go to a trade show on the other side of the country and ship out an entire booth of goods and 
we didn't we didn't know if there would ever be an ROI. Um, but it was those types of chances that we took that I think probably put us on the radar of some of those publications um, sure. early on. Yeah, I know. No, it was we felt very fortunate. The the we didn't spend a dime on PR for probably <laughs> the, the, the first decade, and wow. we, we got a lot of great press that I'm still very appreciative of today. So uh, talking about decisions that you made, I'm, I'm fascinated because you're a successful manufacturer here in Orange County. And I'm wondering, I know that you've implemented lean principles in the business, but c can you explain to us how you and your partners have been able to make a successful manufacturer exist in Orange County? Yeah, you, well, you, you mentioned lean and lean is a gigantic topic as you know. Um, so I can't even really scratch the surface of it, but the kind of two main pillars that lean stands on is respect for people. So that's your own team, your vendors, your suppliers, your clients, everyone involved in making this all happen. And then the second pillar is this idea in Japanese, the words Kaizen, of continuous improvement. Those two things are something we evangelize here at Cerno. It's part of our culture. We adopted kind of lean thinking and lean uh, principles back in 2014 and started to roll out the transition over. I mean, it's still going today. I mean, in the name of continuous improvement, it never, it never stops. But that whole idea, and a lot, a lot of people, when they walk through Sereno, they comment, wow, it looks, it looks like your team really enjoys what they're doing. It looks like your team you know, really wants to be here. So that first pillar, respect for people and investing in our team and listening to them and just creating a work environment that they want to be in, it's probably the main thing that allows us to be a manufacturer here. We don't have a lot of turnover. We've only been around for 15 years. And if you look around at the through in the factory and in the office, you'll you'll see a lot of people that have been with us for over a decade. Um, so it just it speaks to that. Um, I would say the culture that we work so hard to cultivate that is a really simple thing. I mean, look, just go back to the golden rule. You know, treat treat others as you wish to be treated. Right. right. I mean, that, those types of things is something that as business leaders we talk about a lot at Cerno. And I feel like our team believes it. We um, today we actually we have the what our all hands meetings called the Cerno Forum. It happened to be earlier this morning, and that in that meeting, it's an open conversation. We go through a lot of the improvements that were made the previous month, and just try again to create a culture where people feel like they have a voice, they're heard, they listen to, and they feel respected. It goes a really long way, um, and I think it allows us to stay in Orange County because we are people. We make the biggest investment you can make in business is your people, as you right. you know, and um, keeping them happy in here is uh, really the only way we could do it. If we had high turnover, I don't think we would be here today. Yeah, my curiosity is because Orange County is a high cost area, both in land and people and to be able to manufacture and, and maintain that footprint is impressive. Frankly, if you if you remember, can you take us back to who brought the idea of lean to the to the three of you was it one of you or did it come from the outside no it was internal so daniel and he he had been exposed to six sigma and lean and engineering school at ucsd um back in the 90s um but had kind of forgotten about it and through 
some book that he was reading um, back in the early 2000 teens um, was reintroduced to it and was just like, it was this light bulb moment <laughs> of, oh my God, what are we doing? Because we'd been doing more traditional batch manufacturing before, which just doesn't make sense for a company of our size. If you're not nimble, you're stuck, you can't move quickly. Um, so he introduced it and he came to Nick, Nick Sheridan's our other business partner, director of design and myself and just said, you guys, you know, I think this is the right move, but you need to read a few of these books and make sure you buy in too, because this is not going to work unless we're all very much on board. And Nick and I read the books he recommended. I, I believe one was the lean turnaround and one was, um, uh, not, not two second lean. We've read that one too. I think it was lean the lean turnaround and maybe lean thinking, I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and check the second one. Um, and we were, again, it was a no brainer. We knew it was going to be hard, but we, we, we took the dive. Um, it was a rough transition and there was definitely some natural attrition that happened because some of the older employees just weren't going to get on board with these dramatic changes, but, oh man, it's, it's such a better place to be. And I, I think it's, allowed us to continue to grow. And I think who knows again, where we would be without it, but um, I, I don't think we would be where we are today. That's a great, great story. And thank you for telling it well. It leads me to naturally to another question. I'm just wondering in general, is there a, a piece of business advice that you have been given that has been important for you or to the team that you can share with our audience today, Brett? I, I mentioned it earlier, um, and uh, when Daniel's grandfather, who was a homesteader in, North, in Canada and uh, very much subscribed to the philosophy, if there's a will, there's a way, um, you know, again, very broad, but that's the way we approach things. We worked really hard to get to where we are. And if there's a problem sitting in front of us, we're going to figure it out and get to the bottom of it. But that, that just came to me that another piece of business advice um, when I was a junior or senior in college and so naive, um, you know, just hadn't had one foot in the real world of business or anything else yet, had done some internships um, while at school, um, a very respected business leader um, had, I was with him and he, he said, you got to go get your hands dirty. He's like, I dug ditches. Mm -hmm. Go if if I ended up at that point, I knew that I wasn't going to be a journalist and I wanted to pursue a career in real estate development back then. And he was like, you know, get on a construction site, go, go work in the field. And my first year out of school, that's what I did. Um, it was very humbling. Um, you know, there was no shortage of jokes made at me by the people I was working <laughs> next to for knowing nothing. Um, but those, those craftspeople and tradespeople were so skilled and so willing to teach me someone who knew absolutely nothing and probably had no business being on a construction site, a lot of just really good rules and a better understanding of how to build things. And I think the humility of just kind of coming into a business and saying, no task is too big or small. Daniel, Nick and I still, we have a cleaning crew, but we, we, everyone cleans the bathroom. And really that's, it's more of a metaphor than anything else mm -hmm. of just saying no task is too big or small for anyone in this building. And I think a lot of the lessons I learned out on the 
construction site that year um, were were incredible and you know yeah again just kind of forces you to be more empathetic about the people you're walk you're working with um so if you want to be an engineer i'd say go work in a factory in the you know industry that you want to um you want to be an engineer learn how to learn how to make things you you want to be in real estate development go work on a construction site and understand how a building or a house is built i just i for me so many of the lessons i learned during that experience um, stick with me and I think about them all the time. I, I, I love that because I, I believe there's no shortcuts to success, to long-term lasting success. You can have quick hit, but building a solid foundation is, is key and not um, reading your press clippings and believing them is key as well. Sometimes early success can lead to hubris that actually can work against you. So fantastic a piece of business advice. I also believe there's no substitute for persistence. Uh, the harder I work in my career, the luckier I seem to be. Oh yeah. yeah I, I think those that's all wrapped up together. 100%. So let's talk about the future, Brett. Uh, we'll have you back on the program at some point. What's cool. going to be different with Cerno when you come back on the show? Where are you, where are you and your partners taking the company? I, I hope not too much. I mean, I think there were a lot of lessons learned during the pandemic when everyone was forced to you know think on their feet and a lot of people pivoted hard some a lot of people pivoted too hard and you know we outside of you know doing what we could to help the community and uh, build some products just for them which we did that um we we stuck to our guns and really just doubled down and made sure our customer base felt like they were getting taken care of better than ever um, we focused a lot on improvements when we had a little blip in sales and we weren't quite um, where we were in 2019. We focused a lot internally and I, I'm reluctant to try to pivot too hard because things are working really well right now. And I feel like often when you do that, it's, I don't want to say you, you kind of get on that race to the bottom track where you're like, oh, there's an opportunity. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go hard. And then there's another one and I'm going to go for them. You rather than just building on what we have. And I think we have a really strong foundation with the best team we've ever had. I, I love everyone here and respect them so much. And I think we will need to continue to innovate new designs and put a lot of energy in that. And the Siemens Salazar acquisition is a big part of those future plans. I mean, getting into glass blowing and having a whole new material to work with. But largely, yeah, I, I want to keep doing what we're doing, just doing it better and scaling up, but not at an unsustainable pace. I, I do think I just using the word sustain sustainable. I mean, we've made a lot of big efforts in sustainability and just making sure that everything we're doing here is as sustainable as we can. Um, 65% of the power generated in this building comes from the solar panels on the roof. And we're always trying to make packaging more sustainable. So I think, I hope if I'm on this show again, our sustainability efforts have improved, but otherwise I want to keep doing what we're doing, designing beautiful things, reaching a broader audience, but doing it in a scalable, healthy way where we can still enjoy what we do and not just growing for growth's sake. 
Yeah, that can become an addiction for some to bigger, thinking bigger is better, but it necessarily always isn't the case. Uh, in the spirit of continuous improvement, it sounds like you're, there's always another thing to do better and keeping a learner's mindset that way is is awesome. If if people would like to connect with you, Brad, or learn more about Cerno, how would you, where would you tell them to go? How can they do that? Uh, just look up the company. You can call me. Um, I think my cell phone might even be on the website. I, uh, it used to be, um, but you can email me. You can call me. I am on LinkedIn, just Brett Englander. You can get a hold of me there. But yeah, we're here. We invite you all to come check out what we're doing. Um, it's exciting. And um, yeah, I know, Rick, I mentioned to you before, I'd love to host you here. Um, and with your knowledge of lean, I'd, I'd love to get your eyeballs on our operation too. Um, I'm, I'm soliciting your consulting right now. Um, <laughs> no, but um, you're, anyone's welcome to come by anytime. We'd, we'd love to have you. We're, we're right here in Aliso Viejo. Well, there you go. Well, Brent, as promised, uh, ladies and gentlemen in the audience, I told you it was going to be a fast-paced, good show, and you did not disappoint. Thank you, Brett, for making time to be a guest on the program. Congratulations, Rick, on your success, and thank you so much. We really appreciate the opportunity. You're welcome. And thank you, audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest-running business talk show, as I said at the top of the show. Brett's show is now in our archives, and we have over 1,400 interviews that you can peruse, probably people that you know here in Orange County. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you have a story to tell and you'd like to share it here on the platform on Critical Mass Business Talk Show, reach out to me. I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I on LinkedIn. Coincidentally, that's our company's website as well, rickfranzi.com. Until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction.